0: Spend less time quoting and more time selling.
1: This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy. Programs and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam,
0: this is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Today's episode is on managing the computers within your organization. We're talking with William Bonner, formerly the IT and Business Systems Manager of Rapid and Proto Labs. And when I say business systems, that's specific because William is very conscious of making sure computers help achieve the goal of running the business better rather than thinking of them as isolated pieces of equipment. We also chat about IT security and where computers are embedded in your shop in surprising places. William was Rapid's first IT person, and as we grew, he built and managed the team that helped us leverage computer technology to achieve our business goals with minimal downtime, and minimal downtime is super important. This is a very actionable and insightful episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, William. Glad to be here. So we have a history. You were one of the real early team members over at Rapid back when we were on Airport Road. And that was really sort of a dungeon of a facility. And you were such a trooper when you came on believed in us. What team member number were you when you joined?
2: I I wanna say around 20.
0: I I thought it was actually even less than that. And your first office was literally a supply closet that we converted that had no windows, that was suffocatingly hot and you were such a trooper. You definitely enabled Rapid to grow because we were a technology-based company and we quickly had more computers than people. I describe you as an IT manager, you probably would describe yourself a little differently, but maybe give us a description of what you did for a small manufacturing company, because you were also over at Brookfield Rapid Solutions, Botel Rapid Solutions before you joined Rapid. Talk about what an IT manager does and what IT is, let's create that foundation for our conversation.
2: Sure. Sure. Happy to. Information technology, IT, it's the common commonest title that people use in the industry, and it, it's always going to be around there, but it's never been my favorite title. I think a better description and ones that I've had at both Vaupel and at, at Rapid was either uh, business systems or information systems because uh, to me, technology is just a pile of microchips and you throw some software at it, but if it doesn't meet the business needs, if it's not integrated and supports the business, then it really has no purpose. So it's a combination of those things of microchips, software, people, business processes, and, you know, all towards the purpose of of advancing the, the goals of the business, whatever the goals happen to be. And so I guess to give Rapid an example was when I came there, there was one tired server with a little tape backup. And I think half a dozen computers that were you know in pretty you know pretty motley collection of stuff and one thing that that you saw was the potential for for IT so in theory you really hired an IT person far before most companies would because you saw where things were going and you know, I, w- I was fortunate enough to be able to to help you grow the company and support that. You started about three million when I joined you, and we were over forty million when when Proto Labs bought us out. So, it was you know it was quite a ride. It, uh, it took a lot of a lot of different skills and a lot of different upgrades and moves and, and your your roles and
0: responsibilities, and you had a, a lot of personal growth to be able to move into the systems that we required at the different stages of the company. Mm -hmm. So we have computers, there's hardware and software. What other devices, things did you touch in a shop or at a manufacturing company? What else
2: is there besides computers that people should be thinking about Oh, sure. Sure. So, well, for one, pretty much any machine tool of any sophistication today is going to have embedded controllers and stuff in it. And back in the day, those would have been called PLCs, programmable logic controllers, and they'd be kind of islands. Mm -hmm. But certainly in the last 20 years, even before that, these devices would be networked and connected throughout your shop. So right off the bat, whether it's a press break or a CNC machine or an injection molding press, whatever it is, it's almost certainly got a computer in it and it's got a lot of really valuable information that if collected can be valuable in monitoring the shop, but also it, it gives you the ability to shoot programs directly to them. So you no longer have to program at the machine. I mean, I'm talking, this is old, this has been around for a long time, but there, that's to start with. But then in, in the modern shops of today, You're also going to see tablets for logging in and out of jobs or putting, um, logging in scrap quality stuff. Mm -hmm. You're going to see monitors up on the board showing either a queue of jobs that are coming up or maybe safety statistics or production statistics. So Mm -hmm. you're going to see all of those kinds of things.
0: And more and more, we see that the cell phone on the floor is not a personal device for the team member, but also integral into their job. Right. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So actually it's funny. So uh, I remember b- b- back in the day, that used to be a huge challenge was before cell phones was getting communication out on the floor mm-hmm. and you'd be asked to put some kind of a cordless phone out there Right. and right. the machines were would always create a lot of interference and such. So it was very hard to get reception. So um, you know, The advent of cell phones allowed us to put that communication right out to everybody at the shop floor. Now, you know, it comes with it certain risks because you've got to manage those devices. They're another, you know, another potential threat for getting viruses. And well, I'm sure we'll get into cybersecurity later, but that's one of the challenges there is actually managing those devices, even though they provide a good tool for communicating oh. to the operators.
0: Let, let's bookmark that because we're starting to get into some of the nitty gritty. And I want to step back and For someone listening, William and I, he was a trusted partner for me at Rapid. And I want to frame this conversation for a shop owner in thinking about how to look at IT, computers, industry 4.0 from the the hardware and software uh, perspective and how someone like William, whether they are on your staff or contracted out, how to think about them, what they do, where, where they can have an impact on your company. And I was thinking about it. There's probably some folks who are listening, computers are a a necessary evil. They're tolerated and they, I don't want to spend money on them, but I have to. And There's also other people who want as little as possible to do with computers. They know that they're they're there, but they just, they would rather have somebody interact with them and, and make it work for the company and minimize what they want to do. And then there's probably a third category of people who are embracing technology and want to implement as much as possible to automate and increase productivity. So a wide variety of potential folks who are listening, we want to try to bring them all up to speed on what you in your role as an IT manager can do to impact them. And so maybe we could talk about what are some of the basic functions? What do you or somebody who is working on your team do that like every shop has a computer now, so.
2: What are some of the basic things that have to be done from an IT perspective? Well, maybe I could frame this a little bit by talking a little bit about my journey into technology because sure. I wasn't trained. I wasn't trained originally um, in IT. I started out as an industrial engineer. And classical industrial engineering is very embedded in, in you know, old school manufacturing. You do time studies and you try to shave seconds off of an operation so that you can just be more efficient. And I was always interested in technology and stuff. And what I saw, and this goes back prior to before I met Jay, was those two different things really can complement one another because if, when you're working with time studies and you can shave off seconds, which you know, eventually helps the business, but with technology, you can shave hours off of processes by streamlining the process. And that to me was very compelling. I like the low hanging fruit. I like the big impact, not the little impact. So that was my draw into the IT world. And I, I tell you that this is going to sound quaint in this day and age, but it still sticks with me. My, my first big win in IT was there was a shop that was spending, um, they had one individual spend four hours every single day printing out reams and reams of reports, which they would then hand out in a production meeting. And so, from a technology standpoint, I attacked it two ways. One was so simple; I just got the person a faster printer because <laughs> he was able to, she was able to print them out in you know what took four hours she could do it in an hour because they were it was a faster printer. I mean, that was the simplest solution possible. But then I you know I tried to take it to the next level and I said, well. Some of these reports, you're all looking at them together. Why are we printing them out? And again, this goes back. This was in the '90s, mm-hmm. um, and I said, let's put it up on a computer screen, and you can all look at it together. And so they're not even printing it out. So, but at the end of the day, this person who you know was spending four hours a day wound up spending less than an hour a day printing out the bare basic reports, and then the, the people would sit around the monitor and look at their you know paper and and move on. So. So that's to me, that's a huge, that, huge win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't
0: uh, have to hire more people. You can give people more responsibility, different roles, and they probably are happier.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then to go back to your question a little bit, you know, what? what's the basics of, of IT is, so first and foremost, IT is a utility. If done right, it should be invisible. And so mm-hmm. when you come in in the morning your computer should always start up your email should always come and come in and go when you you know open up your accounting package you should you know have have no concern that you can't bill a customer or if you pull up your customer relationship management software you don't, you don't you don't want to think about whether that software is going to let you run your next campaign or send out another email blitz or something like that this stuff just needs to work so that's the baseline. It's almost like a a pyramid. I think of it like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's the baseline. And if you don't get that right, I mean, I would say even the base below that would be cybersecurity, which is a whole other thing, but then you got functionality Uh, and then you get into the good stuff. You know, that's when you get into the software development, the the data analytics, when you're really getting to use your systems to actually help run your business better. So that's kind of how I look at it. And- Getting back to
0: that foundation, that means upgrading computers probably on a regular basis because operating systems are no longer supported. Computers get faster or or the existing ones are slower because of the demands of software. And there's particularly with programs that reside on computers, I remember SolidWorks, every year there's an update that had to be installed and it was pretty, pretty painful when it was, I don't know, you tell us how many hours it took to yeah. solid works up on
2: one and you knew you were going to have to do it every year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and interesting things happened in the world of computers in the last 10 years in that it used to be that you had to upgrade for performance. Mm-hmm. And then performance got so far ahead of software that it, that mm-hmm. became less important. So okay. when we talk about, you know, typically most companies want to do a, a three to four year refresh on their computers, but they're not doing it so much for performance. They're doing it for reliability and for patches and stuff. Because after a while, the you know software companies are only going to support a certain version for a certain number of years. And if you want to stay secure, you've mm-hmm. got to have the latest thing the other part of that is is a lot of applications have run in, into the cloud so a large number well office 365 is a great example you don't need much horsepower to run office applications anymore or salesforce or anything like that these don't require powerhouse computers anymore so um, you know where you well, still need well, let's, let's you say, yeah let's explore that so you mentioned running in the cloud
0: and i was going to jump on that a little later but i think now Office 365, if people aren't familiar with that, that is running Microsoft, Windows, Excel, Publisher, PowerPoint, the whole suite of Microsoft products in the cloud. And so why is
2: that important and why would you want to do it as a shop? Sure. Yep. So, well, first of all, just, you know, full disclosure, Microsoft really wants you to do it because they love the the steady revenue stream that you pay every single month. So that was certainly their big, big impetus, but there is huge advantage for the shop owner as well. And that's because you no longer have to upgrade. Once you convert someone to Office 365, you're good pretty much indefinitely when enhancements and things come out or new patches or anything, it's all done automatically. It's completely hands-off. So it requires less IT staff. It's less invasive. Um, So just huge. And and plus, being in a a natural cloud environment lets you share documents back and forth much more seamlessly. We're talking about the cloud. Yeah. What is the cloud?
0: Can you explain it in a way that's related to how we used to use computers.
2: Oh, absolutely. So, you know, um, in the, the simplest fact is the cloud is any bit of computer, internet, computing, anything that's outside the four walls of your building. So the, the big thing, the big terminology that you might hear is on-premises or cloud. Well, on-premises means, and this is the old school method, is all your servers and your email servers and all your software, everything lived in servers, in a data center, or in a closet somewhere, you know, in in Mm -hmm. your actual physical four walls. The cloud is everything outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it easier to manage and upgrade and stuff. But it it does come with one important cost. And that's, you have to have a rock solid internet connection. And in fact, you need two, you need a primary, and you need Mm -hmm. a backup. You've got to be careful. So... That's
0: super important. If your business systems are running, for example, QuickBooks Online on the cloud, then if you don't have access to that because your internet went down, you're dead in the water. Give me an example of a backup, because I think around us, Comcast, Xfinity for cable uh, internet,
2: what type of backup would you put on top of that? Sure. Yep. So the joke that we always used to say in in IT is our biggest threat was a guy in a pickup truck with a bottle of Jack Daniels, because that guy gets drunk and runs into a pole. He just took out your whole business. used to be backhoes was the big, big thing. You know, they dig up the cables, but not so much stuff's underground anymore. So in terms of backups, what you want to do is the ideal, and not all locations allow this, is if you can have what's called a non-terrestrial backup which basically means you're doing some kind of a wireless 5G or microwave or something like that something that does not is not tied to the earth therefore ice storms drunks and pickup trucks you're you're immune from all of that and that would typically be your backup connection so you wouldn't it wouldn't be super high speed but it would be enough to let your business keep operating so that's ideal but in absence of that you can do uh, what you, you could do And again, it's not always available, but if you can get connections on the ground that go on a different set of poles so that you have like, you know, if you've got a big facility and you're you're on like an an intersection, if you can get Comcast that goes down one road and you've got, um, you know, some other internet provider going out another road, that gives you some of that diversity that you're looking for without, uh, what you you really don't want is everything tied to a single set of poles because that's a, a failure point.
0: And that's what your IT manager does for you is figures that out you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the, the cloud is a lot of advantages. What do you not want to put on the cloud these days or what might you still
2: want to keep in house and why? Well, that's a great point. First of all, in some cases you will not be allowed to. So if you're doing a lot of government contracting, it will put limits on what you can put in the cloud. So there's a thing called ITAR that probably a lot of businesses are familiar with. That means that all your data has to stay within the United States. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Amazon and say, hey, give me some, or Microsoft for that matter, and you know, get set me up with some cloud servers and stuff, they're going to set you up and their cloud is so big and distributed around the world, you're not guaranteed that your data stays onshore. They do offer products that are onshore, guaranteed servers here, but the, the cost is a lot higher. And sometimes uh, you run into things where you need to have a very large number of users to, to do that. So um, that's, that's a big one right there is be careful, check your DoD requirements um, in terms of whether, whether you... So that, that would be number one. Aside from that, I'm pretty bullish on the cloud. There's not a lot of things that I wouldn't consider putting on the cloud. Let's talk about backup systems because I remember
0: the sophisticated tape drive systems that you had and implemented. How is backup approached from a cloud perspective and why is it, how does it give you the redundancies that you had created from what I had seen before?
2: Oh, yeah. Very good question. And it's interesting, too. So what the cloud allows you to do is you can take a snapshot of your systems and data and basically um, ship it off to the cloud. And here's the advantage. I mean, if, um, you know, I guess a lot of businesses only have a single site, but if you had multiple sites and if one of them gets hit with a hurricane, having your data backed up or located somewhere in the cloud lets you still operate some portions of your business even while one plant might be completely down due to hurricane, fire, things of that nature. But I don't want to scare everybody about this, but one of the things that's coming out of cybersecurity these days is the fact that some threats are hiding in your backups and you don't even know it. So you've backed up all your data, you get hit with ransomware and you're like, when you, when you say okay. when you
0: say that backed up, you're talking
2: about physically backed up at your location or, be- or even in the cloud. Even in the cloud, yep, Uh yeah, yeah. Some of the threats today will actually hide in your backup, and you won't know it's there, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the worst case scenario. So, um, well, let's 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 put cybersecurity because I want (laughs) to spend a good chunk of time there. I
0: want to think about. You mentioned, let's say you're doing work and you have ITAR requirements, and you have files. let's say you're using Office 365, you have the option to store those in the cloud or locally on site on your hard drive or maybe a computer. How would you manage backups And right now for pieces of your systems that can't be on the cloud because of, say, ITAR
2: requirements? Oh, sure. So... You probably want to avoid uh, tape backups. They've, they've come a long way. They have a lot more capacity. And, and I'm actually hearing some people say that they like that as a, as an alternate technology. But the, uh, my experience has been if you can do a completely disk-based uh, backup, which basically means you're just copying all the data to some kind of a device that holds the data for you, that's the quickest way to get the backup. And then more importantly, and and this is the part that can be overlooked, is get your data back. If something happens, you want to be able to access it very quickly. And accessing data off a a tape typically takes longer. So uh, in modern day shipping your backups off to the cloud, you probably have something that we refer to as a pizza box, which basically is a piece of electronics that looks like a pizza box and is Bolted into your network somewhere, and you copy all of your data to that, and then and that that allows you. And that, you happens, to and that
0: happens typically in an automated way, right? Something you write. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then the key, the other thing that I'd be remiss not to mention: the key to backups is you have to have multiples. You never want a single backup. So give us one. Give us a good backup, backup strategy. Bad. Yeah. How often do you backup?
0: How long do you keep your backups? Give us a backup strategy.
2: Okay. So in in this day and age, you can keep, um, it used to be, there used to be like a three, two, one strategy. I won't get into the, the technical sides of that, but um, that's somewhat out the window in that you can do live backups. You can do backups every five minutes now. So it's somewhat contingent on, you have to ask yourself, how much data can you afford to lose? And you know the answer usually is none, but you can have backups that are almost done simultaneously so that you're never really out of data. So you just, the, the key then is once that data has been copied, then it gets copied again. And then over time, you're always, you know, because to have multiples, you're going to have a gap in time. So you might have, you know, minutes, uh, hopefully not more than an hour or so of data, you know, potentially lost. But, you know, in, so today's, in today's snapshot world, you don't have to, you don't have to think about so much. You don't have to think about that as much. You can just, have continuous backups almost 24 seven.
0: Okay, that has changed. Let's talk about access control and file management. Maybe they're two separate things that you want to address first, but they, they definitely come together because, and it gets again back to cybersecurity, the physical side, you probably don't want everyone in your company being able to see every file. And what are more modern file management tools strategies? And then how does that integrate into
2: access control? Number one is if, if you definitely want to plan it out ahead of time. So when you start out as a small company and you know, I'm not naming names, but when we were small, we put all of our data kind of together into the same folders and we all kind of shared it. And when you're a small company, you trust everybody and you don't really think about it, Mm -hmm. but Um, what you have to be careful of is you don't let that go on too long. At some point, you make a conscious effort to kind of divide up your data and say, who really needs to see what? Um, And and you need to do it not by individual names, you need to do it by departments and functions. So, you know, this isn't so much an IT um, practice as a business function. You have to think about you know, it, pretend all your files are, are are in paper. What departments should see what? And you divide things up, you define departments. And then at that point, the IT side becomes easy because as, as employees come and go, you just drop the, the people into the appropriate group and they can see what they're allowed to see and and not see what they're they're not allowed to see. But It's really important to get that, segregate that as your company grows to do that uh, separation as soon as possible. This is a great example of how the IT
0: is implementing business systems. And you talk about groups. So you might have a group, uh, one group is the CAM programmers. Another group might be quality. Another group might be the front office. And the information that each needs or should have access to is probably different amongst the groups. Mm-hmm. You want that control. If someone needs more information, you can you can give them multiple groups. but it's the more more you can control that, the better and more secure your data is.
2: Yeah and it, 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 the security works both ways. So one, you, you worry about people, potentially stealing your data, but you also worry about it being encrypted and you know ransomed. So when you divide up your data, like we're talking about, it protects you from both. It, it basically firewalls off the data from each other. So data segregation is a really important piece of the uh, cybersecurity puzzle. As is really managing, there, there's two things you have to really watch. One is um, it's common in smaller shops to have shared logins. So like you have five mm. press breaks and yeah. all five people use the same login to, to get to those, you know, it's super convenient. It's very efficient. So people don't have to log in and out. And, and this is one of those situations where you have to decide you have to trade off security for functionality. And, and, you know, as cyber threats get worse. Sometimes you have to go, go to places you don't like, you, you might have to lose a few minutes of people logging in and out and avoid those common logins, which are, are big targets for different types of threats. Let's now get back into something we touched upon earlier is that
0: essentially a CNC machining center, a press break, a laser is a computer. That's how they are controlled. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of them, they're actually Windows-based controllers now, aren't they? Yes. Yep. So, so they are. There are, you, you can think of them as computers. How do you think about that from your role in integrating that into the systems and how should a, an owner, what are some things that owner might not realize that are both advantageous and perhaps dangerous about having a machine as a computer?
2: Yes. Uh, So yeah, number one is it's not just that it's a computer. It's a really old computer (laughs) because uh, the the machine tools are not typically upgraded on a regular basis and they they don't typically offer a way to upgrade them. So if you buy a a machine tool, you might keep that thing for 10, 20 years. So that's that computer in there might be that old. So you have Mm -hmm. to, you know, with with very few options to, um, to upgrade it. So that's number one is that, the, almost guaranteed the oldest computers in any manufacturing building are going to be the ones attached to your or embedded into your machine tools. And that means that they're probably the most uh, vulnerable to different security threats. And, and by the way, you, know, you spend $150,000, $200,000 on this piece of equipment. It's not like you're likely to replace it anytime soon just because the computer is out of date.
0: My observation was that the machine tool suppliers are Conservative, and therefore, they're not using the latest and greatest technology. They want something proven. So, when you buy a brand new machine tool, it has, let's say, the middle of the lifespan
2: type computer in it, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. It's very time consuming and and difficult for them to integrate them with the hardware. So they don't like to do that very often. So Mm. yeah, this that it's a it's a real concern. And so the question would be is well, how do you address that? And so this goes back to a a little truism that I believe is uh, you know, something's not truly obsolete if it still does what it was designed to do. So if that embedded computer is providing enough intelligence for that machine tool to run then maybe there shouldn't be a, a big impetus to replace it but mm-hmm. you have to protect yourself and the way you know without getting too technical about it is the way you do that is separating your network there's ways to do it in a, a virtual environment and there's some hardware possibilities but basically you allow those devices to talk to the rest of your network and your users but in such a way that they're separated from them. They're they're firewalled off and protected so that they're not easily compromised by things that might be happening elsewhere in the network.
0: So that's probably a good question to ask your IT managers how they're doing that. And you're listening, not so much for the technical how, but the fact that they are doing it. Absolutely, yep. Let's jump into people working outside of the physical premises of the shop, remote work. And what do we have to think about there? It it probably comprises a lot of what we've talked about. Give us a framework of how you think about remote work and considerations that are different than in house computers.
2: Sure. Yeah, you know, obviously this is a huge thing since COVID. You've got a lot more people uh, working off site than before. So that's huge. And, and the first thing to remember is, is that it's inherently a riskier environment because people's home networks don't have anywhere near the level of, of monitoring and security that you can do in-house. So they're definitely inherently less secure. So how do you manage that? And so the most common technique used today is uh, what they call next generation antivirus. And essentially what you do is you don't let anybody connect from a home computer until it's been properly checked out. And so you have software today that basically will go out and, um, I don't want to say interrogate, but investigate, check out a computer, a remote computer before it's allowed to connect to the network. That technology's come a long way and that allows that, you know, they, that way. They Does that happen that. automatically
0: or? Yes. Okay.
2: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So with a modern day a remote access solution, you're going to log in using uh, certain information, you know, that you've been given by your IT people. And it's going to take a little while. It's going to take a minute or two for the software, which is constantly being updated with the latest threat profiles and stuff to kind of, um, check out your home computer and make sure that it's secure before you're actually allowed to connect. The other thing they do too is um, a lot of people um, will only be allowed to connect, you know, to a very limited set of, of resources. So here's the thing, not a great idea to let someone's home computer that they play Minecraft on and who knows what, connect directly to servers and different resources that you're using inside your network. What you do instead is they have a computer maybe sitting in a desk or a data center, a virtual computer, something, something that's inside in the secure space of your company, and they connect to that. And therefore, it really limits your exposure because you really only have that very thin connection between the remote computer and the workhorse computer that's in your safe environment and can be monitored a lot better. But I, I know I'm getting a little technical there but that's that's kind of no, the that, two that's, approaches to-
0: that's great. The other piece though is people connect via their phones today. How do you yep. approach phones because a lot of times a shop you you want a team member to do business things on their phone but it's their phone you're not buying it for them and paying
2: for their plans so what do you have to think about, in that regard? Well, in much the same way, there's a whole, not new, but relatively new uh, class of software. MDM software is the new thing that newer software that basically you install on a phone and it manages the data and takes care of to make sure that the data is being uh, held in a secure fashion. And it also allows the network administrator to wipe the phone remotely. So, that's a big thing. So Now, would you implement this on somebody's personal cell phone? Well, you would give them the choice. So this is, typically you're given a choice. You can have a company phone, which is fully managed and secure. Or if you want to use your personal phone, we might give you you know, a stipend every month, but you agree to have this software installed on it with the provision that if something suspicious happens or you leave the company, your phone could be wiped uh, remotely. Some companies will offer the choice. Some will say you have to do it um, one way or the other. Sometimes
0: you want to connect through a VPN. What is a VPN? How is it implemented? Why do you want to do it?
2: Yeah, so a VPN is a, what they call a virtual private network. And it's a, like a little tunnel between your main business network and somebody's device out in the world on their laptop or a cell phone for that matter. It's, it's like a virtual extension of your network. So the thing is, though, to some extent, VPNs are becoming less important because so much stuff is in the cloud. So if you're accessing like Salesforce, for example, you don't need a VPN because if you're in the office, you're accessing it through the internet there. If you're at home, you're accessing it through the internet at home. So in that scenario, the VPN doesn't come into play.
0: But if you're at a Starbucks or in a hotel... It probably makes sense to use a VPN to connect, doesn't it?
2: Um, Yes, but again, a lot of that security is now being kind of baked into the cloud environment itself. VPN is not is like slowly kind of I don't want to say fading away, but it's not the end all be all in terms of connectivity now, not in the new cloud world. So before we get into
0: the big topic of cybersecurity. How should a shop owner think about costing of IT? Is there a good metric? And maybe it depends upon the size of the shop, but as a percentage of revenue, and maybe there's different pieces that you break down that, that come up to the total, like hardware, software, security. Mm-hmm. Give us a sense of the cost and how it's distributed and how you should be thinking about it. Because... It, it's painful if you, if you look and go, man, I spent 3% of my revenue on all this stuff. And is it really giving yeah. me the value like, by go buy another
2: machine tool? Yeah. So that's you hit the right number. It's 3% is kind of the all-in uh, rule of thumb. And that would include the salaries of all your IT people, all of your subscriptions and hardware and software and internet connections. So 3% of revenue is a good general all in figure. But with a couple of caveats, it, it does depend on the business you're in. So if you're in a, a very advanced technology environment, it could very easily be higher than that. If you're in a very stable environment that doesn't change very much, less sophisticated, it could be a little bit lower. But you're, you know, you should be in that ballpark. But something to consider is um and something I firmly believe in, you're gonna pay for IT one way or another. So if you try to, you know, kind of cheap out and say, oh, I just don't want to spend that much, then your users are going to be fumbling and they're, they're not going to have the help desk support that they might need. And their so,
0: productivity um, decreases. And in a sense, that's the, the cost
2: that, although you're not paying it directly. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of hidden costs in underfunding IT. And that's, that's something that people, owners need to be aware of. And to be clear, when that number, I,
0: I think the number can definitely increase for a shop because if you think about all the things that you have subscriptions to today, you have your cable internet, you may have Amazon Prime, Netflix, one of the other streaming services you might use, Spotify. As we move to a more subscription-based environment, it it was chunkier, we would buy Seats of SolidWorks, and they would cost, what, I think it was $4,300 every yep. time, and then we would have the maintenance fee. Well, rather than having these chunks, we add another user, and it's, I don't know what SolidWorks is a month now, but let's say it's $250, mm-hmm. that could be really low. But the good news is, is it's predictable, and yes. as you scale, you understand where your costs are going. It's not going to be spiky typically because it's going to be on a monthly basis although some are annual contracts but i think of salesforce is a customer relationship management software that some of the bigger companies might use and that can be pretty expensive but it's very powerful and you choose to use it because it
2: dramatically can increase the productivity of your
0: sales
2: team. Yep. I, I think one thing to keep in mind though, too, is it is easy to get oversold on some of these products um, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, that, it's the whole, you know, do you want fries with that a scenario? So Salesforce is a great example where the basic Salesforce is expensive, but it gets even more expensive when you start adding stuff onto it. So you need to, as a business owner, and, and especially in concert with your IT manager, You need to really look at, are you going to use the features that you're looking at? Almost every subscription service out there has anywhere from three to five levels that you can get into. Mm -hmm. You should look real seriously about what level you want to get into. Typically, there's no pain in going up or down a level. So you could start a little more conservatively, see where it goes, and then upgrade later. But, you know, that was something that I was always cognizant of back at Rapid was I didn't want to just buy the the shiniest, fanciest thing. I wanted to make sure that we had the right balance of meeting the current needs, meeting the the needs to scale, but not going so far out there that you're just spending money needlessly. And especially in a rapidly growing company, you might need to replace some of your hardware or, or systems and stuff. In two or three years. So don't spend the money on a system or a piece of software or anything that's, that's going to let you scale for 10 years because you're going to probably change three times between then, now and then. That's a
0: great point. Last year we had on a fellow who owns a MSP, managed service provider, and that's a contracted IT function. What are your thoughts of in-house people versus MSP or some hybrid of them. And if you can relate that to the size of a job shop, where does it make sense to have people in-house? Why
2: might you want to just subcontract the whole thing? Sure. Sure. So on a personal level, I'm a little bit biased because I really love managing people and having a team that's in-house. So that's a part of, on a personal level, I really enjoy. So I, I historically have Favored that. But over time, I've come to realize the real value that MSPs bring to things. Back at Rapid, we used an MSP to supplement our staff. Mm -hmm. Um, In today's world, I would go further and say a hybrid is probably a good approach because um, I've been throwing this new, I kind of coined this whatever, but um, I like to say in this world of cybersecurity, it takes a village to protect yourself. If you're relying on one person to protect your company, from the cyber threats today, you will fail. It's just one person cannot keep up with the, the uh, threats and complexity that's out there today. So, what do you do? Well, you know that you can have one person, but you supplement them with an MSP or, or things of that nature. So, you know whatever you do, I, I think the probably the biggest lesson I learned over the years is IT people and businesses spend so much time looking at redundancies of systems and computers and they forget about redundancy of people. And I think that's one of the biggest potential threats that the companies face is um, that that individual quits or they're on a cruise and can't True. help out. You know, Plus it also puts an enormous amount of pressure on those people and burns them out. So mm-hmm. having a way to, to back up people And MSPs are probably the best way to do that Um, unless you're, you know, when you get to a company of a a huge size, you can kind of back each other up across divisions. But uh, certainly for any smaller shop, I think you've got to be looking at a mix of on-site and MSP.
0: What are some good questions to ask when you're trying to select a MSP so that you make sure you're getting somebody of quality or an organization of
2: quality? Sure. Yeah. So absolutely. They all have what uh, they call SLA service level agreements. So that defines how quickly they will respond to you and how quickly they will give you resolution. So that's a big one. The other thing is you really want to talk to them about what I'll call continuity of service. So are you going to talk to a different person every time you call in? Mm-hmm. And this is where maybe a smaller local MSPs may, might shine so that they have a smaller pool of people and you're not going to get a different person all the time. So those are the big ones, the big hot buttons for me. And then I think that's where you have to make a decision too. So, you know, I think the areas where MSPs really shine are in like cybersecurity and sort of the, some of the infrastructure stuff. But when you get closer to the actual applications and report writing and stuff like that, those people, I think it makes more sense to look in-house and develop in-house talent because that's more hands-on, more business specific. And, Mm And I'm not saying it would be impossible for an MSP to help you in those areas, but I think it's more challenging. Makes sense.
0: Well, let's jump to the big topic, cybersecurity, and I'll throw it out there. What do we want to know? What's important? How can it
2: bite us if if we're not thinking about it the right way. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very easy to get uh, very scared when you talk about cybersecurity. We've seen cyber threats in the last couple of years, unlike anything we've seen before. And some of the scariest things are some of the systems that we actually rely on to help run our business, I mean, actually protect ourselves, are being targeted. Things like SolarWinds, Kaseya, which was a big MSP, so they're actually, you know, the, the attacks today aren't going directly to the companies. They're going at the actual support structure that many companies are using. And some of them are going undetected for a long time before the threat's actually identified and uh, mitigated. So that's, you know, that's a new, a new threat. The, the other big thing, if, if you've been watching the news is, you know, back in the day, you um, You know the the what you would call the threat actors, the bad guys, where people you know teenagers somewhere in the world in their basement um, hacking away at you. Now you have state-sponsored hacking, so you've got you know the Chinese or Russian governments actually sponsoring these people making cyber attacks against businesses, against utilities, and you know so that's a whole new level, which. you know, as individual companies, you can, you can mitigate, but even if you're, even if you're not a direct target, you could, you could be collateral damage in some of these right. cyber wars that are so, occurring. So right what do now. we, what do we have to do to protect ourselves as a shop owner? Number one, like I said, it takes a village. You've got to make sure that you, you, you should definitely be Um, depending on your size, especially on the smaller side, you need to be reaching out to a good quality MSP and asking them about their services. There's new things now, what they call security as a service. So instead of having to build all the different layers of security yourself, and and that, by the way, is one of the keys to good cybersecurity is multiple layers. No one, you know, a a firewall and any, any virus software isn't enough anymore. You need intrusion prevention, you need all kinds of filtering on your email and your web and, and things of that nature. So with security as a service, a lot of that's all bundled together. And mm-hmm. you buy a single subscription, which covers a lot of it and installs on your systems and ideally is actively monitored by an MSP to keep an eye on that. That's probably your best defense today. Hopefully in the future, you know, there's talk of like like everything, like artificial intelligence might be a way to get ahead of the curve with cybersecurity. But as soon as we start deploying AI as a defense, you know that it'll be used as uh, to increase the offense. And then in, we're right. fighting AI to AI. Right. Well, we hear a lot about ransomware. How does ransomware
0: happen? What didn't someone do that allows a ransomware attack
2: to? There's different ways it can come in. But the most common would be is you get an email with a link in it and you're somehow in, you know convinced uh, to click on that link, or another way you see it is in ads that pop up when you're browsing the web, that can introduce it. You you can also um, people don't think about this, and but this is this is a real thing in the world. People will litter uh, USB drives around a parking lot, attached to keys, and somebody will will go grab that USB drive. And, you know, thinking, well, geez, I want to help this guy out, you know, the keys are attached, he needs to get into his house, whatever. So they plug it into their computer to try to figure out who this might belong to. And then they're uh, instantly compromised. So um, those are kind of the, the most common vectors for that. And what ransomware does, if people aren't familiar with it, is they essentially encrypt your data so that you cannot look at your own data. And then the more nasty variants today will do like a multi-layer. They'll steal the data and then they will, um, so, so they can then use that data themselves or sell it. Mm-hmm. And then they will keep you from accessing it yourself. And then say you pay the, you know, you pay the ransom and they decrypt your files, but then they are like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now you need to pay us another ransom. So they don't, we don't give away the data that we stole from you. <laughs> Great. Yep. <laughs> Great. So, how do you prevent that? Again, you build security in layers. You look seriously at like this um, security as a service model, mm-hmm. but you have to have multiple layers of the last mile and the last level is you have to do aggressive training of your employees. So that they know not to click on things, they recognize things that aren't right, scams of that nature. And then another big thing that's important, and it's it, you know, it didn't used to be as big a deal, is what they call intrusion prevention software. And this again can be part of your software uh, security as a service, but it actively monitors your network and detects unusual activity, so that you know when things are happening in real time because the. The only thing worse than getting hit by ransomware is being hit and not realizing it for a few days. And at that point, your backups are now compromised as well. So early detection is really key. Absolutely. I know some insurance companies are offering cyber insurance now.
0: Have you come across that? What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I have. Yep. We signed up for it. And we, this was years ago, we signed up for it. It used to be that you just had to fill out a questionnaire and they'd write the policy. And, and then if, it, um, you know, if you got struck, they would help you out. So today it's changing a little bit. So well, first of all, let me explain cybersecurity, where its real value is, is it can, it can help you recover a lot of the, the non-technical data things. Like if your customer's data is compromised and given out to other people, Your company is now liable for that. So to handle that liability, cyber insurance is is key because that's not a technical issue so much as it's a customer relationship. It's a legal obligations uh, issue. There's also costs uh, involved in notifying everybody and uh, including government agencies and stuff. So there's a lot of hidden costs of a cyber attack that cyber insurance can definitely help you with cyber insurance isn't going to protect you. And it's also, it's not going to be in a position to completely put you back to where you were before, but it's going to cover a lot of those other costs. It can definitely cover some of the recovery costs, but here's the thing. There's been so many claims that the costs over the last 24 or even 12 months has doubled and they will now audit you. So now if you want to get cyber insurance, it's not going to be a simple survey anymore that you're going to be interrogated and and, I think that's actually a great thing because if you don't pass the audit,
0: but there's a reason that they're they're asking the questions. And to me, a a way to conduct a no cost is my cybersecurity adequate or not apply for cyber insurance. And if they don't give it to
2: you, you know what you got to fix. No, absolutely true. I just want to make sure that people don't think that that this is not like uh, cyber insurance is not like auto insurance. It's not like, oh, you, know, you just, you, you pay the premiums, you get in an right. accident, everything's all fine when you're done, it's not that. But it, it is a, an important key tool in the toolbox. Talk about
0: the physical aspects of IT security. Example, we, we, access control is probably one of them, but, but people are a weak link in computer security. Yeah, what do you have to think about there?
2: Yeah, very much so. And this is an area that I was kind of a, one of my specialties and something I paid a lot of attention to. So if a person can walk into your building, they've gotten through two or three layers of security without having to do anything at all. Sure. And it's pretty easy to get into you know, a building if you don't, first of all, if you don't have an access control system, so the, the traditional method for that is a badge system. And so that control at that point, you know, who's in the building, you can control what time of day people are allowed in the building Mm -hmm. and it gives you traceability, which is key because it'll log every time somebody walks in. They're far from foolproof because there's a thing called tailgating, which needs to be, uh, you need a lot of training. You need to train employees that, you know, as polite as it is to hold the door for the next person who comes in. You really shouldn't do that because that person following you might not be an employee or they might've been an employee that was terminated and you didn't hear about it yet. And yeah. they're trying to get into the building to do do some bad stuff. So um, yeah, that that's, that's an important training piece there.
0: I also made me think of if you are a small shop and let's say it's a weekend and you're on your computer, then you go out in the shop and your front door's open. If you don't have your computer screen locking after X amount of minutes somebody could walk in do something on your computer and walk out and you don't even know because you're back in the shop making parts so
2: something is simple what, what do you call that when you lock the screen How do you? It, well it can be it's uh, typically uh, best practice is to have that automatically do that um, you you know the rule of thumb is usually around 10 minutes or so um, that the, the screen so if, if the locked. computer isn't being After 10 minutes, yep, that's best something something simple,
0: but that's that's not you have to set that up, it doesn't it's not the default, correct? Yes, yep, yep. What other sort of cool technology is out there for small companies for shops, and maybe things that medium sized companies are leveraging but are now becoming more accessible to
2: the small shop? Sure, sure. Well, let's start with some basics that I hope everybody by now has already embraced, but if they haven't, your employees should all have multiple monitors. Almost every user in your company should have a laptop because the flexibility that brings to them is just essential. You should all be using solid state drives because the performance is so much faster than what, any what's,
0: traditional. What's a solid state drive versus whatever solid- a traditional
2: is? A uh, solid state drive. In fact, it would be difficult to buy a new computer today without it. Um, but basically, it's it's the the storage on the computer is all s- uh, solid state. There's no moving parts, so it's like a think a of it like a chip. yeah, it's it's a chip like a USB uh, drive inside the computer. But again, this is old. This is nothing mm-hmm. new. But if there's shop owners out there that haven't made those upgrades, those are things that are really important. And they're the Old school would be the moving hard
0: drives where they're spinning.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I remember yeah. you could start to hear and fail, the bearings were going. You hear this noise inside your computer. <laughs> oh shit! Did yeah. we back it up? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I, I don't. I haven't. I don't. I haven't sourced them lately. I, I doubt you could buy one. But if if you've got computers that are five years old, they may not be on uh, solid state, and uh, they really should be. It's a big, big, um, is, big improvement. Is it easy to swap out a Traditional yeah, there's, drive for a solid there, yeah, there's software today that will do most of that for you in, in an hour or two. So in terms of uh, next, you know, these aren't bleeding edge, but some of the things that smaller shops may not be looking at, I talked about security as a service, that's super yep. important the latest security stuff. There's a thing called single sign-on, which you get into in medium-sized companies. And that's where if you've got four or five different computer, you know, different programs that you're using... Instead of having to log in four or five times, a single sign-on is is a software and a, a website that you can in, install that lets you sign in once mm-hmm. and share that information to everything that you log into. So that's a big time savings. It also makes, you know, sadly, uh, terminations a lot easier because instead of scurrying around trying to, to sh- you know, lock out a. a Terminated employee out of five systems, you can do it in one place and they're locked out of all. So a single sign-on is very useful technology. Most companies are probably virtualized now, which means that you have very few physical servers. Everything is a virtual server. So that virtual server might be in the cloud, but it might also be inside a big box inside your your own data center. So virtualization is big because you're able to um, spin up Um, new servers and applications and test environments. And you can set those up very, very quickly. You can move them around. You can back them up. Smaller companies may not be in that virtualization space yet, but that's definitely a technology that's uh, very mature at this point and should be looked at. And then the last one that I would look at is something called VDI. And again, this is a pretty mature technology today. It's called virtual desktop integration. Mm -hmm. And this is where you can have, you can even use your really old five-year-old computers to connect to a virtual computer inside a a box in your data center, or inside a virtual computer in the cloud. VDI gives you, you know, a lot of flexibility so that your IT department can do all kinds of upgrades and keep that, you know, all of that environment up to date. So, if I'm understanding correctly, the
0: the Say the five-year-old computer is essentially a display of another computer that's
2: running somewhere else. Yeah, exactly right. It's like the old days of mainframe computing. It's the next yeah. generation of that. So yeah, it's a good way to leverage older technology and still have that. It's super manageable. Yeah, that's a great point that you're coming back to is it's a
0: centralized managing as opposed to scurrying around to every individual computer within the company. Yes. So if you would indulge me, let's say that probably not a brand new shop with 10 team members, but you go in, you've got somebody who says, let's do the 80-20 rule and get me up to speed with technology in my 10 person shop. So let's say I'm doing a million and a half to 3 million in revenue, and I want to be as modern as possible in that 80-20 rule, what would you do? And without going into a ton of detail, but how would you make sure that shop is set up?
2: So for a shop that size in today's environment, you would absolutely be using an MSP. You would, I, I seriously doubt it would be cost-effective to have a, a full-time IT person for that size. Okay, so what would they do for you? So the MSP would, would set up your environment, but here would be the key. You're going to need some kind of a business leader who is tech savvy that can communicate the business needs to that MSP. And, and that's where the challenge is going to be in that size company, because you'd be tempted to have a, a IT person to bridge that gap, but you're not really big enough. So, you know, hopefully you've got somebody on your staff that's pretty tech savvy and can kind of relay the the needs of the business to that MSP. And you'd have to be careful of the MSP you select. You know, I think I would encourage, especially for that size, a small local person who can come on site and spend time with you and consult with you and be a real business partner with you and not just a service provider. So I think I would start there. And I would certainly in today's world try to be uh, in the cloud as much as possible build it that way from the ground up as much as your business requirements allow. And let's say now
0: you are more successful and have grown to about 25 people, let's say four to five to 6 million, is now the time when you might wanna have an IT person on staff?
2: Yes. Know? Yeah, I think that's a good time frame to start looking at, absolutely and then the challenge would be with, with you know that you're going to want that person at that time to be very business savvy ERP savvy so basically you know somebody very versed with the um, applications that you're using to to run your business because that's going to be uh, that's going to be key and then right those are the types of things that the MSP would not have the knowledge specific
0: knowledge You mentioned that before
2: yeah and then as you, got, as you got bigger from there, and certainly when you start uh, looking at multiple sites, that's when you start looking at building out your team a little bit more, where you're going to want a network administrator, somebody who's a little more technical and can manage a complex environment. The, the MSPs can do that, but at that point, it probably becomes more cost-effective to start looking at some in-house resources for some of that. And what are the specialized roles? You mentioned
0: the network administrator. What other so, types of roles might there be in, say, a 100-plus team member company?
2: Yeah, so uh, network administrator manages your – I mean, you can divide – they could do multiple roles. They could handle the servers and the, and the network. When you get big enough, they will specialize and handle just the actual connectivity, you know, how, how all of the devices connect and talk to each other. You certainly get to a point where you're going to want a a database administrator. So a business analyst, that kind of role so that, um, and those, those can sometimes be the same person, sometimes not, but these are people that are, you know, think of it like a report writer on steroids where they can really dig into the data. And then not too long after that, you start looking at a software developer because you can run your business on all off the shelf software, but at some point you may want to have a more complex web uh, site or a more sophisticated data collection and stuff like that. So at that point you start thinking about maybe a, a website developer. And a lot of times these can be multiple roles in one person, but you have to be careful because too many hats will ultimately make it less efficient. And that's a risk of small businesses always, is, is people with too many hats. Well, we have covered a ton of ground here. This has been
0: illuminating for me because I will say my perception has changed. My thoughts were grounded in probably what was there five or 10 years ago, but the environment has changed dramatically, particularly with with the cloud and the virtualization of tools and technologies what else would you like to add or talk about that we didn't get to
2: i think we've covered a lot of good stuff but i do want to just touch on the whole industry 4.0 buzzword that everybody's uh, yeah. throwing around right now and, and they're calling it you know the next industrial revolution and, and i don't know i my feeling is that at this point, I don't think it rises to that level. I think it's an evolution. Um, so typically when you're talking about the industry 4.0, you're talking about big data, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, the internet of things, which is all the little devices like your Alexas and, and many, many other types of devices that are in the world. That's what they're talking about. and you know, They're talking about all of these coming together to become... Uh, Greater than the whole, and and just kind of a a coalescence of all of these different things. And there's a lot happening there, but I just I don't feel right now it's reached that revolution level. Um, You know, a couple of things we've talked about. I think you know even the smaller shop owners should be really leveraging the cloud. I think they should also be leveraging uh, sensors. That's another big piece of Industry 4.0 is sensors. So that means monitoring your shop in real time. And a lot of your machine tools and stuff will have this stuff built in, but you can also buy stuff that goes along. If you're a process-oriented company, you know, certainly have different uh, temperature gauges and stuff like that. So you can keep an eye on, on your shop in real time and what's going on in there. So those are the kinds of things that I would coach smaller companies to keep on their radar in terms of that whole area. Well, again tons of
0: information, actionable information here. I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with our audience and open up the kimono a little bit on (laughs) to what to me is often a mysterious part of the business. Any other last thoughts before we go?
2: No, it's just been a real pleasure. It's great catching up. And, uh, you know, I do feel blessed that I had my time at Rapid and, and found a, a very fertile ground where, you know, is a place that really valued IT as not a necessary evil, but an enabler of business. And that's the, the kinds of environments that I'm always looking for, because that's where the real meat is. That's where the fun is.
0: Well, you excelled at it, and I appreciate your time there. And, and I, what I used to, I, I'm trying to remember the way I phrased it to you, but you touched upon it. The best evidence of a really well-functioning IT group is when you don't think about it. stuff just happens it's frictionless and it works and that's the way it happened at rapid
2: so yeah thanks William you're welcome I, st- I, I steal that phrase from you all the time now I, I drop the, the term frictionless business into any conversation I can because it's just <laughs> so apropos it, it just really really defines what good IT can can help you get to Well, I guess that's the challenge today for the
0: shop owner is how are you going to think about IT within your own company? And is it frictionless? Does it work? Does it happen without effort or frustration on your part? I hope that you are journeying on a path to that and that if nothing else, you are protecting your data and your customer's data because if you do get a ransomware attack or other security event, you are in for a world of hurt. Hopefully some of the techniques we share here will help get you on that path. Until next time, keep those lasers running and have a super day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to The Job Shop Show.